I mentioned in the Afghanistan episode I played India in Madhuyan. This time I wasn't put in a historical council, instead I attended a more politicalishly one. While researching background information about India, I stumbled upon a very interesting news article about an Indian man who biked to Sweden in the 70s. I read into it a bit more and thought it was a pretty Swede love story. Get it? Swede? <laughs> and as I mentioned before, politics aren't really my thing. So for what would have been the India Model UN episode, I decided to talk about this instead because it's random and technically it counts as history seeing as it happened nearly 50 years ago. Cue the music. Song. Our protagonist, Pradyumna Kumar Mahanandia, or PK for short, was born on December 5th, 1951. Well, that's at least what his passport states. In truth, PK was really born in 1949 in the jungles of Angol by the Mahanadi River in the state of Orissa, the place that inspired the Jungle Book. In fact, in the 1880s, PK's grandpa met Valentin Ball, the man who wrote Jungle Life in India, when he visited their village, which was the inspiration for Kipling's Jungle Book. As shown by Percy Jackson, every killer quest starts with a prophecy. The same goes for PK's story. In India, parents would often call an astrologer to check their newborn baby. The astrologer stated that PK would become an artist. The astrologer also determined that, unlike most people, P.K. would not have an arranged marriage. The woman he would marry would be a Taurus from a distant shore who owned her own jungle and played the flute. Hey, I do that! Yeah, but do you own your own jungle? Nope! You see, P.K.'s mother, Kalabapi, was a kund, a Dalite. Oh, and by the way, you can't really hold me accountable for pronunciations this episode because most of these words I could not find a good pronunciation anywhere on the internet. So yeah, I'm sorry. I, anyways, back to where I was before. Oh yeah, a Dalite. Untouchables, the lowest class of the caste system. Well, technically Dalites were so low that they weren't even on the Hindu caste system. Dalites worked the jobs that the other castes didn't want to do, such as street sweeping and sewage cleaning. If you were born a Dalite, you'd stay that way for the rest of your life. At home, things were fine, but school was something else. The Hindu children were not allowed to touch or play with him. If they did touch PK, they were made to wash themselves. He was also made to sit either in the back of the classroom or outside away from the other children. The other children would all often bully him, hurling stones at him whenever he approached the village temple, which was acceptable back then. What the narka? The priests would also tell PK he dirted everything pure and holy. Again, what the narka? They're telling this to a little child. What the? But whenever PK felt sad, his mother would remind him of the prophecy. However, not everything was doom and gloom for P.K. One day, a British school inspector and his wife came to visit. He and his wife had two garlands of flowers. The 
school inspector gave his garland to a girl in the front while his wife gave hers to Piquet. Quote, she could see I was an outcast. She touched my head and said, you, your lovely curly hair. I was so happy, but at the same time, I was crying. It was like a little light for me in the dark cave. End quote. In 1971, Piquet was given a scholarship by Orisia to the New Delhi College of Art in New Delhi, which was begun by the British in 1942. However, that scholarship turned out to be a sham, so Piquet would often sleep by the fountain near Colnott Palace place and made money as a street artist which at the time was kind of illegal so the cops would sometimes take him in sometimes he'd even sleep in the station and be given food for three long years pk lived like this his luck changed when indian prime minister indira gandhi brought soviet astronaut valentina tereskova to delhi believing her to possibly be the woman from the prophecy Piquet quickly scrawled a portrait of her and squeezed through the crowd and handed the portrait to one of Valentina's guards. Valentina informed the guard that she wanted to meet this intriguing man who made such a wonderful portrait of her, and that day the Indo-Soviet Society invited Piquet to the Parliamentary Club. There he made ten portraits of Valentina and became an overnight sensation after appearing everywhere, on TV in the papers, on the radio, Indira Gandhi's secretary even arranged P.K. to paint the prime minister's portrait and gave him an apartment so he wouldn't need to live on the streets. P.K. would go on to paint the portraits of several other political figures. However, the largest change in P.K.'s life would come on December 17, 1975, where he met Swedish noblewoman Charlotte von Shedwin. Ever since she was a child, Charlotte had a fascination for India. At 11, her teacher showed her BW films about India like Elephant Boy. While in London, Charlotte met many Indian people and was immersed in Indian culture, even attending a concert at Albert Hall with George Harrison and Ravi Shankar. Charlotte also witnessed a tribal performance from Orissa and was enthralled by it. At 19, Charlotte would hop on a Volkswagen bus with several friends and drive from Boraz, Sweden to India on the hippie trail. They would park near Kalnott Place. I'm sorry, I keep on thinking it says palace, but it's place. Or is it palace? I honestly don't know at this point. There, Charlotte would meet a boy drawing portraits. Intrigued by his claim of being able to complete a portrait in 10 minutes, Charlotte decided to give it a shot. Piquet was unable to draw Charlotte just right the first time because his hands were shaking from nervousness, so instead he asked her to come back the next day. Charlotte attempted to pay 20 rupees instead of the usual 10, but Piquet rejected her, stating, quote, no, you aren't supposed to give me more because you are so beautiful and I never take double payment from a beautiful woman like you, only from men with bald heads, end quote, which is pretty funny if you ask me. Ultimately, Charlotte would come back a total of three times to get her portrait done. After Charlotte's second visit, PK knew she was the one. 
He asked her if she was a Tauros, to which she responded yes. Charlotte would inform her that she owned a forest and also played flute and piano. Hey, just like, shh, I know, it's kind of getting annoying. After hearing this information, P.K. exclaimed in broken English, quote, This is decided in the heavens. We were destined to meet, end quote. Charlotte was logically confused, but decided to come back a third day for another portrait. That day, P.K. dropped the bomb, quote, You are going to be my wife, end quote, which um, is a bit creepy, but okay, since he ultimately got the girl with that, pick up lines 101. Charlotte was obviously weirded out, but she decided to give my man P.K. a shot. P.K. took her back to his home state of Orisia, where she saw the Connacht Temple with P.K. for the first time. She had always wanted to see that place, and even had a picture of it framed in her London dorm. When Charlotte returned to Delhi, she knew she was in love. Charlotte and P.K. returned to Orisia, to P.K.'s home village of Kondapada, where Charlotte met P.K.'s siblings and father for the first time, and they got on pretty well, which isn't really how in-law stories are supposed to go, but hey, nothing in this story really makes any logical sense, which is what makes it beautiful, intriguing, and special at the same time. With the blessing of P.K.'s father, the two of them got married in a tribal ceremony. P.K.'s older brother entered the Punja room and after meditation for some time, determined that Charlotte was the right woman for him. After staying in India for another two or three weeks, Charlotte left for Sweden, but had P.K. promised to meet her in Boraz. For one and a half years, they communicated solely through letters before P.K. finally decided to see his wife again. Because P.K. didn't have enough for a plane ticket, he sold everything he owned and purchased a second-hand bike and rode the hippie trail, taking several hundred rupees and 80 bucks, which he hid under his belt. During that trip, he never touched that 80 bucks. On January 22, 1977, P.K. began his journey. Sometimes he'd ride trucks, sometimes people would invite P.K. into their homes, feeding him in exchange for sketches. Other times, he'd sleep under the stars. For most days, he'd bike, covering about 70km each day. Which, man, by the end of that, his legs must have been made of steel. Along the way, P.K. made many hippie friends, whom fed him and guided him. According to P.K., quote, I never met any person whom I disliked. It was a different time, a different world of love and peace and, of course, freedom. The biggest obstacle was my own thoughts, my doubts, end quote. Back then, things were peaceful. Most countries didn't need visas for people to enter. In Afghanistan, P.K. reported it being a calm and beautiful nation of art-loving people. Vast parts of it were unpopulated. In Afghanistan, most people understood Hindi, but in Iran, communication was harder. However, art would always ultimately come through. Throughout his journey, P.K. would find letters from Charlotte in Kandahar, Kabul, and Istanbul, not Constantinople. Although his legs hurt from all the cycling, he knew what he was biting for. 
And besides his desire to see his wife again, P.K. loved seeing new places and meeting new people. On May 28th, P.K. entered Europe through Istanbul and Vienna. There he would travel to Gothenburg by train. After traveling for four months and three weeks for 7,000 miles across eight countries, Afghanistan, Iran, Turkey, Bulgaria, Yugoslavia, Germany, Austria, Denmark, P.K. finally made it to Sweden with $800 in his pocket from the portraits he made along the way. When he arrived in Sweden, immigration officers questioned P.K. and were surprised by his story. He even managed to produce photos of him and Charlotte on their wedding. When Charlotte learned that P.K. had biked all the way to Sweden, she drove 70 km from Boraz to Gothenburg to take him home with her. If that doesn't say true love, I don't know what does. It was hard for P.K. to adjust to life in Europe. But Charlotte was supported all the way. It was hard for P.K. to impress Charlotte's parents, but they eventually were allowed to marry officially in Sweden. To this day, the two of them are still married and have two children. Nowadays, P.K. works as an artist in Sweden. In a strange twist of events, whenever P.K. and his fam visits his home village, they always make a huge deal welcoming him. In 1997, when floods prevented P.K. from returning his, to his village, the local government sponsored a helicopter trip for him, which landed him in, on his old school's football field. When speaking about his past in the village, P.K. stated, quote, Love has given me the power to forgive the people throwing stones at me. They need education. I'm glad that our story is giving people hope. End quote. I don't know if I consider this sweet or savage or a mix of both, but damn, that epic. In 2005, P.K. was nominated for the Nobel Prize. In January of 2012, he received a doctorate degree from a Orisa University. Some other awards P.K. and Charlotte have won include a prize from the Edward Stanford Travel Writing Awards and the Marco Polo Outstanding Travel-Themed Book of the Year Award for their biographical novel, The Amazing Story of the Man Who Cycled from India to Europe for Love. So, in conclusion... No, I don't even have a conclusion on this one. This is just a beautiful story, and man, PK and Charlotte, you two are iconic. Anyways, bye!